I'm going to ask you this morning to pay particular attention. I'm going to ask you right at the start of the sermon to listen carefully. And the reason I said is we should listen carefully every week, of course, but there are two particular dangers that are highlighted in the passage that we will come to as we go through the sermon that mean that you must be listening carefully. So please, for your soul's welfare, listen carefully this morning. Set yourselves to pay attention, not because I'm saying it, but because of the very nature of the warning that God's Word brings to us this morning. We are looking at the terrible reality of the believer sliding backwards and falling into sin. As uh, Roger Ellsworth says, the place names of Nob and Gath and Moab may be utterly foreign to us, but they are not just places on a map, they are places in our lives too. And so if you have your Bible open at 1 Samuel 21, uh, it'll be helpful. This isn't all that the Bible has to say on the subject of backsliding. It's not even David's only failure. We will learn these lessons again from him and learn broader lessons and different lessons about failure and backsliding from David. But here's an example. But what makes this example helpful is that we see the full trajectory of it. We see David starting here and and traveling down and we get to travel down with him and then we hit rock bottom and then we start to see things turning and David coming up out of it. We see David in it and coming out of it but we also see God over it the whole time. There are three things that we're going to note this morning. Uh, The first will be the longest And there are three things to note in this first point as well. So first of all, David's backsliding. David's backsliding. As we look at David in the middle of this chapter, we see this great, heroic, brave man reduced to a slavering, gibbering fool, albeit in pretense, And when we read his personal journal, the book of Psalms, we see a man for whom this pretense of being mad isn't just a ho-ho-ho, here I am putting one over on the Philistines, watch me pull a fast one, you know, nudge-nudge, wink-wink. Here is a man who's actually terrified out of his wits. This man who had faced the Philistines over and over is in fear of his life. That's where it's led him to. Now, as we go on in this passage, we need to say at the outset that no Christian is perfect, that we all fall into sin, and that's not what backsliding is. That's, if we might split the word in two, that's back. That's taking a step backwards. But put the emphasis on the word sliding. Sliding is when we take a step back and we keep sliding further and further away. It might be fast. It might be slow. And so backsliding is not so much a particular sin, but it's more our reaction to any sin that will ultimately lead us to being far from God. So we want to see what it looks like here, to be familiar with this danger that Christians face. So, first of our three sub-points, backsliding's conduct. Backsliding's 
conduct. David arrives here from meeting with Jonathan and Jonathan's saying to him, you need to go. My father is going to kill you and there's nothing that I can do about it. Go. And here he is starting off the chapter at Nob, a place that's eight miles down the road from where he had been in Gibeah. He comes to the place where the tabernacle is, the tent served by priests that was a symbol of God's presence amongst the people. The place where guidance was sought, where sacrifice was offered for sin. And there's so much in here. We're not going to go into the details of the meeting with Ahimelech and the the details of of the bread. We're going to to set that aside and we're going to take the big picture of, of this whole chapter. But David meets Ahimelech and Ahimelech is terrified. Why are you on your own? I think Ahimelech must have heard the court rumors that there had been a colossal falling out between David and Saul, a parting of the ways. But here comes David on his own. And David has an opportunity to seek help from God through the priest. But what does he do? He lies. He says, I'm on a secret mission. The king sent me on a mission, verse 2, and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. Verse 8, the king's mission was urgent. And some might try to excuse his behavior. No doubt David did. Some might say he's not actually lying. He's on a mission for the king. God being the king. You know, a little bit more of the, the, the nudge, nudge. You know, playing fast and loose with the truth. Some writers would say that Scripture is silent here. It doesn't pass judgment and neither should we, but God has given us the rest of Scripture to help us to evaluate this moment. And as we look at David's behavior in these verses, it is a series of one lie after another. And the lies are full of holes. He's on a mission, but he's got no sword. The warrior has no sword. He's on an urgent mission, so urgent that he hasn't time to pick up his sword, but yet his time, his men have had enough time and enough forewarning to keep themselves morally and sexually pure. And by the time we get to verse 13, he's head and shoulders deep in a living lie. Matthew Henry, that wonderful old writer, says, David told Ahimelech a gross untruth. What shall we say to this? The scripture does not conceal it and we dare not justify it. We turn to one of his journal entries in Psalm 34. I think David is writing and reflecting on his behavior. He says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. He had been engaged in evil engaged in telling lies and he's reflecting on that and saying don't do it but I want us to note some of the, the characteristics of his conduct here look at him what's he doing in this opening section he's trying to look and sound holy I'm on a mission and the men and I are holy he says and he's using that to mask his deceit you see it's easy to talk like a Christian. It's easy to say the right things. It's easy to put on the appearance. It's easy to be at the place of worship. That's where David is. It's easy to be there. 
and yet to be living a lie, to be in church externally, but putting up a facade, a front. He compromised his convictions. David knows that lying is wrong. He's described earlier as a man after God's own heart, and he's compromising his convictions. You ever find yourself doing that? You know something to be wrong. You think, well, I need to do this. And we compromise. Here's backsliding's conduct. And then another characteristic of it, he added sin to sin. He's told one lie, and like everybody who's told a lie has found out, you have to tell another, and another, and another. And we seek to justify ourselves by telling more lies. It's like trying to dig your way out of a hole. You know, when you're in a hole, stop digging. David takes the JCB and tries to dig his way through. We keep going, hoping that no one will notice. But look where David ends up. You can't sin your way out of sin. And then we note another characteristic. Not only does he add sin to sin and compromise his convictions and and try to, to give the appearance of being holy, but he ends up in the wrong place with the wrong people. Look at him now in verse 10. He's in Gath. He'd been wrongly in the right place at the temple or the tabernacle, but now he's wrongly in the wrong place. He's in Philistine territory and is lying through his teeth and he's, he's behaving like a madman. And then he's in Moab, outside God's territory. And in Scripture, that direction of travel is always significant. Always significant. He's not going to find God or godliness in Gath. He's not going to find holiness in Moab. Are there places that you find yourself, either in real life or in online life, where you ought not to be? Places where you are not going to find God or godliness being lived out. Instead, you find yourself under pressure. You find yourself compromising. You find yourself adding one sin to another. You find yourself being shaped by those around you. In the wrong place, with the wrong people, or it may be that you're just with the wrong people. And we look for attention. We look for affection. We look for interest from the wrong people. And we we dumb down our Christianity. And we start to dumb down our Christianity We're compromising our convictions. You see, here's backsliding's conduct. It doesn't always start with open sin. It starts small. It steps away from God. It grows cold by degrees. Here are the warning signs that we may be on a slippery slope. Backsliding's conduct. Second, point in this first heading, backsliding's causes. Backsliding's causes. Remember, we're not looking exhaustively at backsliding. There are all other sorts of passages we'll come to, even in the life of David. But what has brought David to this point? I think there are two things. There are two things that we can note here. One, he decided that he could solve his problems without God. He decided he could solve his problems without God. Or we might say, God became small to him. 
He shrank the size of his world to the size of his problems. David's world had God in it. You, you hear him address Saul. You hear him address Goliath. And David's world is a colossal world with a colossal God. But now, now, David has shrunk his world to the size of his problems. He has a problem, Saul. And he has a God who's bigger than Goliath and bigger than Saul. But God, or but David forgets. He forgets God. And he tries to solve his problems without God. And, you know, David was doing a right thing when he ran. Jonathan told him, get out of here. That was right that he got out of there. And he did a right thing when he, he went to the tabernacle. But then he started to go wrong because he didn't look for God. He left God to the side. And he tried to solve it himself to rely on his own resources and his own cunning and his own wit. And the farce and the lunacy of it all is, where does he end up? He ends up, well, it doesn't end up at this, but here's the farce of it. We find him asking for Goliath's sword so that he can be invincible. Had it helped Goliath? Had it made Goliath invincible? Not in the slightest. A small shepherd boy, whom David knew very well, had triumphed over Goliath because God was with him. Oh, the lunacy of our own cunning and our own solutions. What folly we engage in when God becomes small to us. And the second thing that we note by way of cause is that he stopped looking for God's input. He stopped looking for God's input. The tabernacle was the place where God had said he would give guidance to his people. And do we see David asking for guidance? No, we see him asking for food. He's more interested in his belly than in thinking that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we know that from Jesus quoting it, but he's quoting it from the Old Testament, from the book of Deuteronomy. And here's David failing the test in the wilderness, like Israel had done before him. And so, when we head off track, oftentimes we find that our hearing of God's Word has ceased. And that's why I said at the beginning, because do you see how it's possible to be in the place where God speaks and not to be hearing or looking for God to speak to us? And that's why I said what I said, that you've got to listen. It's not because I can see into your hearts. It's because I can't see into your hearts. I can't see into your minds what's filling your minds at this moment. But here's David, and he's at the place where God speaks, and he's not looking for God to say anything to him. And oh, how dangerous it can be when our intake of God's Word is non-existent. We may be present in church and our head away in a daydream. Our prayer life has disappeared. Our daily intake of God's Word is reduced to a, a reading of the words on the page, if even that, but we're not taking it in. And then sometimes we find that it's so far away from us that the last thing we want to hear is anybody quote God's word to us. I mean, we tut and we roll our eyes. Ah, 
Is that something that you need to reflect on and think about this morning? Has God become small to you and His Word become silent? Two contributory causes, taking our eyes off God and taking our ears off God, ignoring God and relying on self. Here are backslidings, causes in this incident. Thirdly, backslidings, consequences. Backslidings, consequences. Sin can be forgiven, yes, but it has consequences. And God is not a maid. He's not a skivvy who runs around cleaning up after us. And there are salutary warnings for us in this passage. Let me point out three. David endangers others. The camera whips round in verse 7. In a little sentence from the author, he says, Now one of Saul's servants was there. And you get a glimpse of a face peeking out from behind, maybe a tent flap or uh, from under a tree. And the camera zooms in and it's Doeg, the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. And well, you cast your eye across the page to chapter 22 and we find that Saul kills all the priests at Nob because Doeg reports back. You see, David's backsliding impacts others. It has ripple effects and so does ours. It has ripple effects. It impacts our fellow believers. It impacts our children. It can impact the community in which we live. David endangers others. David digs a deeper hole. We've mentioned this already. One sin leads to another. Instead of stopping and crying out to God for help, David ends up locked up in Gath, fearing for his life. One sin is never a stopping point. Never is. Satan throws out bait in front of us and we say, oh, I'll do this and stop. And he says, I've been doing this for thousands of years. There's never a stop. Yes, there's forgiveness, but we rarely look for it till we're neck deep in trouble. And then a third one to note is David dishonors God. David dishonors God. Here's David in Gath, God's anointed king. The one who had made his boast in front of the Philistine army that God was the one in whom he trusted and that God was the one who would give him victory. It's that same David. And what's he doing? He's behaving like a madman in order to make good his escape. You can imagine the laughter in Gath. In fact, you hear it from Achish. He says, why'd you bring him to me? Am I, am I short of madmen that you needed to add a few others to my collection of unhinged lunatics in my house? You can see the, 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 the servants laughing, you know, at David. And you see, when we slide into sin, we give opportunity for the enemies of God to mock. To mock the people of God. To mock God himself. And sometimes, isn't it so terrible that it's the very people that we have, as it were, spoken in front of about the greatness of God and the wonder of his salvation. And then they're the ones that we are sinning in front of. Oh, what an awful thing it is when a Christian slides backwards. 
It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. It's a beautiful thing to be a Christian, but it's a serious thing to be a Christian. So let us guard, guard ourselves against this danger. But that's not where this section ends. We want to see two things to encourage us. First of all, and our second point, David's returning. David's returning. Right at the end of the section, we have a glimpse of David obeying God. Verse 5 of chapter 22, the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold, go into the land of Judah. So David left. David's listening to God. He said earlier in verse 3 that he wants to learn what God will do for him. This is good. And David is listening. But before that, I think we see changes because as we look at the Psalms, Psalm 34 and Psalm 56, that are written at this time, the headings at the top tell us that, we we see David's thoughts. And we know from 1 Samuel that David is is locked up in a prison in, in Gath, and that he's behaving like a lunatic. But then when we turn to the Psalms, he's, he's saying, I cried out to God to help me, and I put my trust in God, and God helped me. I think, well, how do those two go together? But this is a turning point. This is that moment where David's hitting rock bottom, and he's, he's trying to rely on his own cunning, but he realizes he can't, he can't do it, that he needs God to help him. And as we read through these Psalms, we see... We see him acknowledging his sin. He says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil, he says. In verse 18 of Psalm 34, he speaks of being crushed in spirit. In Psalm 56, verse 8, record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? It looks like the first incident at at Nob didn't bother him at all. Didn't think anything of it. Just sailed gaily through it, telling his lies. But by the time we get to Gath, and he goes into Gath without God and finds himself in at the deep end, he realizes, I can't do this. I need God. And in the dark despair of a Philistine dungeon, he comes to the end of himself. That's a good place to be, to come to the end of ourselves. And what does he do? He cries out to God. That's what we see in Psalm 56. That's what we see in Psalm 34. We see him crying out to God. In God I trust. I will not fear what man will do for me. God will deliver me, he says. So what do you do? What do you do? You find yourself sliding backwards at a rate of knots. Don't try to get out of it yourself. Come to the end of yourself. Don't think I'll sort this out, I'll tidy myself up, and then I'll come to God. Cry out for help to the God who hears the cries of His people. Stop doing wrong. Cry out for help and start doing what's right. That's what David does. He cries out to God. And he starts doing what's right. Stop doing what's wrong. Cry out to God and do what God says. And there's something wonderful here, is there not? That David is returning. That David is coming back. What a wonderful thing God allows David to do. What a wonderful thing. We we think of Saul and how God eventually drew a line for Saul and said, No, 
That's it. And here's David. And David is turning back to God. And God is faithful. And God hears his cries. What encouragement there is for us to keep coming back to God. And all the more encouragement for us this side of the cross. For we have a Savior who we can see at the cross has paid for the sins of his people. Before we leave this this section on David returning, there's something to note as we leave David. As we leave David in Moab, he's in Moab, a country, as we're far away geographically from Jerusalem, far away from God's place spiritually. But David is in a better place than he was when he was at the tabernacle. He's at least pointing back to God. At the tabernacle, at the place of worship, he was pointing away from God. And there's a lesson for us there. Someone may have drifted far, far from God. And maybe in a far from ideal place, but they're turned. And they're facing God now. And although there's much that still needs to be sorted out on their way back, they are facing in the right direction. But oh, oh, you could be in church. You could be where God reveals himself and facing away from God, about to head off into, the, into disaster, into the distance. And we need to remember the lesson of 1 Samuel 16. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Sometimes we might look at someone and think, you're in a terrible place. And you need to tidy up your life a lot. But actually, they are in a terrible place, but they're looking in the right direction. They're moving in the right direction. Or there may be somebody and we think, oh, look at them. They're at church every week. But oh, they're facing in the wrong direction. God sees the heart. The third thing to note, David's backsliding, David's returning. And thirdly, wonderfully, God's faithfulness. Where is God in all of this? God's faithfulness. David has departed from God, but God has not departed from David. Although he's not mentioned actively in the chapter until we get to verse 5, he has been active all along. We see that from David's prayer diary from the book of Psalms, that God was faithful even when David wasn't. And in the Psalms we see what God has been doing. God was faithful in providing safety in Gath, Psalm 56, verse 13. For you have delivered me from death, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. God was faithful in hearing. Psalm 34, verse 17. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He was faithful in continuing to deliver David out of his trials. Psalm 34. The Lord delivers them out of all their troubles. God was faithful in providing for David's parents in Moab. Perhaps because of David's great-grandmother, Ruth, who was from Moab. Safety for, for David's elderly parents. God was faithful in continued delivering. Psalm 34, verse 19, The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. That's David saying, I've seen this, and I'm telling you about it. God was faithful. God was faithful. 
And God was faithful in speaking His Word to David. David says, I'm going to listen to what God says. And the next thing we read is, God sends a prophet. He sends the prophet Gad to David to speak to him. God may not be a maid that cleans up after us. And He may leave us at times to stew in the mess that we've made. But He is a loving Father. That doesn't mean that He's ignoring us or distant. He's present, watching and providing, full of care for His people. David would write in Psalm 56, verse 8, You have kept count of my uh, literally tossings, his turning backwards and forwards in bed at night as he can't sleep. You have put my tears in your bottle. My tears, God's bottle. It's the level of care. Are they not in your book? Those anguished cries, as we realize we've made a mess, as we realize, what would God want anything to do with me? God notes God cares and He's faithful. Why would we ever go away from such a God? God's faithful care is David's great takeaway lesson from these incidents. He hadn't trusted. He had wandered, but God had been faithful. He watches, He sees, and He is ready when we turn back to Him because He has never moved. It was us that did that. And as we finish, we see that David, as an anointed one, a Messiah with a small M, is already a failure. He couldn't do it. And how glad we should be that David's true and greater son, the true and greater David, who when the pressure and temptation came to rely on his own resources, and to entrust himself to the enemy to make these stones into bread and to bow down and to get all the kingdoms of the earth when the pressure was on him, he didn't fall. He remained faithful to what God had called him to do. David failed as a saviour. And his failure meant that he doomed some of his people. But we have a saviour who didn't fail. And that means he will never doom or lose any who put their trust in him. Amen. Let's come to God in prayer. If you're able, let's stand to pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you. How we thank you that with you there is forgiveness. How we thank you that you allow people, sinners, to return to you. And Lord, help us to guard our hearts. For this can come on us unawares. We see David at a high point, engaging faithfully with trial, engaging in covenant with Jonathan. And yet immediately after that, he goes on this slippery downhill slope. And, O oh Lord, help us to be on our guard against, against being confident in our abilities, against silencing your voice 
in turning away from your word. Help us to guard against an outward appearance of holiness. Help us to guard against being in the wrong place with the wrong people, seeking the approval of people whom you don't approve of. O oh Lord, guard all of us, but guard our young people especially. Guard them from that being in the wrong place with the wrong people or even just with the wrong people and chasing the attentions and the affections of those who have no affection for you. Lord, guard them especially, but guard all of us, Lord. And Lord, show us where we have perhaps been growing a little colder. Show us where we need to return to you. We may not be in Gath. We may not be in that moment of despair, but Lord, we don't want to be there. So show us, show us if and when and how we need to turn back to you. But O oh Lord God, most of all, we thank you that you are faithful and that when we are faithless, you are faithful to us and you don't give up on us. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that we have a Savior who didn't fail. And we thank you that we have a Savior who doesn't ruin his people. We thank you that we have one who has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And lo, I am with you always unto the very end of the age. And so help us, Lord God, as we seek to live for him and to follow him, not to bring him into disrepute. We ask it for Jesus' sake and Jesus' glory. Amen.